0: Hello, my name is Sophie Kaufman and this is Spill Your Guts, a podcast series that looks at bulimia from the perspective of myself and my co-host Lizzie Stimpson, who both suffered with bulimia. Last episode was called How Does Bulimia End? and we had as a guest Tom Fairbrother and together we all talked about how you progress through bulimia towards a more healthful existence. This, Our second episode is called Help! And it's a resource for people that suffer and families and their loved ones and trying to figure out what it is that people can do to help people that can seem so closed up in their own pain. So on the show today as a guest is my father, Chris Calvin, and he'll be talking about what it was like to watch me suffering from bulimia and things he learned and things that helped. So uh, the first section is going to be what can help the sufferer and Liz and I will be discussing things that were helpful when we were suffering alone, painfully, uh, with our demons. Um, so in the in the last episode, uh, we had a guest called Tom and he talked about something that didn't particularly help, which was that his girlfriend, when he told her that he had bulimia, uh, she decided that she would bash on the bathroom door every single time <laughs> that he went in there. Uh, and that actually wasn't particularly helpful. So so Elizabeth is laughing because it's darkly humorous. Uh, so yeah, so Liz, when you were suffering with bulimia, what behaviour from concerned parties would have helped, or what did help?
1: Um. So um. So when I, because I, I went through a period where I didn't eat lunch, um, and my friends told uh, my teacher, which um like that didn't help, but but I think actually weirdly that potentially could have helped. If, um, if the school had had, um, like, good counselling services or a good, like, a good school nurse who could have linked me in to some proper help, like, having a chat from your male, like, mid-40s, like, teacher about your, like, issues of your body is, like, as a 13-year-old girl was obviously, like, not going to help and, like, not going to do, like, absolutely anything. Like, it was, like, one chat. So that didn't really help. I mean, like, my friends... um at the time like they were kind of helpful in in a way because um like none of them seemed to have uh that kind of angst or like angst around food and so i think they were they they slightly monitored me which was stressful but then at the same time maybe it gave me a good but like a good balance point against what was normal um i think my mom was pretty good um like it's worth saying again that like my bulimia was never like very extreme and I'm not even sure if it ever fitted into that medical like three to four times a week but like which kind of goes to show why medical terms aren't always that useful because it was it still spanned 10 years but my mum was I think so my mum was most concerned with like my thought processes and how I viewed myself and like my kind of relationship with maybe food and my body. So she was quite good um, uh, around like just being concerned about that. And she did link me into um, some counselling services, uh, although the counsellor wasn't very good. Um, So again, I think... Why was
0: the counsellor not good?
1: um, He just like, he just wasn't a very good counsellor. I didn't gel with him um, and like much later on i found out that apparently nobody liked him and so there is something about like mental health services like why send someone to a counselor who's like apparently no like nobody likes um i had like uh, um my was really into homeopathy so i had like a childhood home- homeopath and homeopathy like a big part of it is just really talking about your feelings so she was amazing and i just really connected with her so i had quite a few sessions with her and th- that was really helpful um yeah so those are the things that I kind of found do you want to um say about like what you found helpful or what you think would have been helpful Uh, I'm glad you asked Liz because I I sure would like to um yeah I
0: I actually uh, I quite disillusioned probably by a lot of the mental health services like the formal mental health services that I entered into um like I actually spent a year inside an adolescent unit and that was when I was 17 to 18 and I just dropped out of school. And uh, I really absolutely wanted to commit myself to trying to get better. And it just, just, I mean, there was some positives about the experience, spending time with people who had problems and therefore, you know, like, I guess having your own weird clique. in the vein of the movie heathers but um yeah like in terms of actually recovering it it didn't really do very much for me um what I actually did find more helpful is is probably my, my family um like over over time like initially I think uh, when I first developed symptoms I was very furtive and secretive but as I became more despairing I became more open and as my family got more used to the fact that this was just a fact of my life, they became more understanding and had a, a more long view. And if I'd be despairing, they could say things like, you know, you've made more progress than you realize. And um, and then later, once I was pretty much recovered, but still probably psychologically feeling a bit trapped in cycles, I had a very good therapist and he was private. So I realized that's quite prohibitive a recommendation for people that don't have fifty pounds to spend on, on a session, but uh, yeah, as we'll get to late, later on in the episode there are there are things called reduced feed schemes that can help people access very well trained therapists, and I found him particularly helpful because of the fact that he you know he he takes you as a whole entire person and everything is connected. And a, a bit of a trap sometimes with specifically eating disorder services can be that you are just focusing on one aspect, but that's not necessarily true and i think services like beat can recognize you as a whole human um which needs to happen so yeah i guess this episode we're trying to do a mix of just trying to be helpful to people that might still be suffering uh, and telling our own stories just i guess because that's what we do because that's our main qualification you know that we have lived through this rather than being medical professionals um so yeah elizabeth may i invite you to step back through the sands of time uh into when you were still suffering like I know you said you don't feel like you had it in a very extreme fashion um but yeah do you think that bulimia did
1: affect your relationship with your family um so um I think like like uh bulimia as a whole perhaps perhaps didn't because it wasn't something I consistently did but again I think this goes back to like being like um like making yourself sick is often symptomatic of something else. So I think that the the thought patterns that got got me to the point where I would make myself sick, um, uh, definitely did. And um, uh, I kind of like um like sort of like like plodded along in like uh when I first started secondary school with like very low um self like kind of body image and confidence and then um for me like the the a few years kind of like at the end of my a levels and just after um I like I went through some really destructive behavior like I don't even know if I was that like was making myself sick that often but again like for, for me it was like um I guess kind of like negative negative thoughts that led to, to like a, a whole heap of quite destructive behavior and that was as my family life got quite complex, but um, it was complex irrespective of my bulimia. But as my like home life began to improve, um, like kind of like when I kind of got to uni, um, like so did my relationship with myself and um, like my body. So it was almost like I kind of hit he- like healed. Um, so it sounds like my question was almost the
0: wrong way around. It was, <coughs> how does your family affect your bulimia?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that can definitely be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <Yeah.
0: laughs> and it would be interested as well to kind of figure out the best term for you of talking about it. Because it's it's like, when you think about your, your worst suffering, mm. it's like a, a whole package of things rather yeah. than just
1: not just bulimia and i think yeah. that can be true for people yeah uh um like de- like depending on like what they're doing and what, where they are in their their life you you uh, and like bulimia was just like making yourself sick was just part of um like very bad yeah very low self-confidence and then a kind of a bit later on, kind of like, I think when I was about 17, 18, just like, just qu- quite like, dist- like destructive behaviour. And were you secretive about your bulimia with with your mother? Um, yeah, a bit, but not totally. And um, it's probably worth saying that not when I was born, but earlier on in my mum's life, she'd suffered from it. So I think it was quite hard to hide it because obviously she, she knew like what I was doing because she'd done it um so it wasn't that it to be honest wasn't very easy to hide it so I think there was a bit of a quite an op- kind of open honest dialogue because I think she uh she, she noticed about me having problems with like problems with food like not wanting to eat and feeling really fat and so um and that obviously worried her a lot because she'd uh, experienced similar things how did she express
0: that worry to you
1: I think she sat me down and um uh talked to me about it and I mean said that it you know said I definitely shouldn't be feeling like that and it wasn't true but obviously um like it's you you won't really take that in um necessarily uh, particularly if you kind of are prone to like just very extreme poor body image do you think it was of any value looking back having your mother sit down and
0: kind of say that your insecurities were insecurities and not facts
1: yeah I think so because I think honesty is always best is always better and ultimately that honesty probably did help me to um heal even if it took quite um even if it took quite a while I I think and and also it, it maybe just with other relationships, it gave me the confidence to be honest about it, which is hard. But then I think there's something about if you, if it, if it's secretive, no one knows. You're just struggling on your own. But at least if it's in the open, you can then begin to, um, you know, talk to your friends or I don't know, like uh, you like your boyfriend or your family about it. So it might not stop, but there's something. It takes the it, it takes the shame away a bit, and then suddenly people are aware, so they can support you. Um, even even if they're not experts they can support you in their own way um you know like when I was much younger my friends sort of continually telling me I shouldn't do it and it wasn't normal that probably is a good message to hear because otherwise you'll begin to think that like making yourself sick or starving yourself like just just something people do I totally agree about how being open can help you feel less ashamed
0: um and I think that's stuff. Def- can work on you on the back burner. So you might not necessarily feel any better in the moment, but if you're open with people like gradually over time, that's, that's yeah, that's helping you accept accept yourself and accept that, um, yeah, that this is just, this is something that you have because I think you can be quite divided or I definitely was very divided. Like um, I couldn't hide it from my family, but I definitely was suffering. Didn't really talk about it with my friends. Uh, like my friend Hassan. Uh, shout out to Hassan. Uh, who after the first episode, aired, <coughs> he listened to you t- and he was like, "I had no idea that that was what you were going for at the time." Um, and I think if if it had been possible to just hide it from everyone, I probably would have. And I, I don't think that would
1: have been very helpful at all. Yeah. Do you want to talk in a bit more detail about the um, the way bulimia affected um the relationship with your family?
0: Uh. Well, like, I mean, if you suffer for nine years and like quite intensively, then it goes through a number of, <coughs> of different phases. Like initially, there was quite a lot of hysteria. Like my mum reacted in a like, very upset way. Uh, and I was upset with her for being upset because like this is my thing to be upset about. So there wasn't really very good communication. There's just like lots of uh, sort of accuse- accusations and then like defensive behavior for me and this continued along this vein for a while. Um, but yeah, like talking talking to my dad last night in preparation for this podcast, because we're serious professionals, um, he pointed out that, you know, there's an element of that that would have been going on anyway when I was 15, like teenagers and their parents, you know, they're not renowned for like getting along swimmingly throughout the teenage years. Um, and as I got older, with bulimia, but also just getting older, you know you, you can't you, you can't you can't just keep screaming at your parents there comes like a certain point where you have to stop screaming at your parents um and um yeah like i i think uh, yeah like that they were very very emotionally supportive after a certain point like once i think they come to terms with the fact that this what what this was i was going through um and that it wasn't going to just go away they became very supportive uh what about friends you think you were very open with your friends when you were suffering
1: um yeah I was like I was I was actually uh, pretty open with them and and like I like I said so when I was like 12 13 like it like it did affect it because they cl- they clocked onto it and I think I must have said um uh, I, I, I must have I think vocalized like feeling really fat uh um to my friends um and um um Uh, and so like they picked up on that and then I think they just picked up on like me like not wanting to eat or like occasionally going off to like throw up my lunch and um yeah but like um yeah like I say like I think that was good um and and I think um especially if people just have no experience of it they probably will handle it a bit clumsily and there there probably will be a sense of anxiety or or what might feel like controllingness to the way that they deal with you because they just want you to stop. I just now remembered one of our mutual
0: friends following me to the bathroom. Yeah, that,
1: that yeah. I mean, that happened a couple of times, ty- like, <clears throat> a few times to me too. And, um, but in a way, it feels really hard at the time. Um, and you, um, <clears throat> like, it feels really hard and, and it, almost a bit invasive. But probably in the long term, like, maybe that is helpful because... As I say, like, otherwise you're just suffering on your own. And at least you do, you've got people pushing at you to, to stop doing it. I would
0: say, though, um, I don't want to kind of give the message that every single thing a person can do to intervene is good. Because yeah, that's a good point. Because the, there's different impulses behind people confronting you. Like, I do think there is a very human urge to, if you see someone suffering or in pain or doing something that's not right like people have a kind of hero complex like they want to they want to go in and do good and they're not necessarily thinking about the other person they're thinking about alleviating their own conscience and so people can go in and say something and feel like oh I did my bit but you didn't do your bit so I would say to friends and family members you know like just question yourself question why you're talking to someone and really the best thing you can do is try and understand someone um rather than be like hey you know what you're doing is bad for you because they probably know what they're doing is bad for them um and if you if you don't have it in you to sit down and listen then maybe just this isn't your fight and just just leave that one alone but if you do have it in you to listen that can be really valuable
1: yeah I think that's true and like I was like pretty shy as well so I think having Um, i think having people that you can just talk to is really helpful and not necessarily like with a focus on whatever you're doing if you know if it's like making yourself sick then um like not necessarily with a like with a focus on that but maybe just yeah how they how they're feeling and how they're thinking exactly yeah because then as well that that builds a person
0: up and because i think you do get a bit paranoid about your symptoms because they're you know they're not the most sexy of symptoms, and so if someone is focusing on that, you know, you are just you're in this defensive front part of your brain. Whereas if you're just talking about all this complicated stuff behind it, it's like you can actually have a really good conversation with someone, and yeah. and that 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 does a little bit of good. I mean, in all areas of life, that does a little bit of good if you can have a good conversation with someone. But not everyone can have a good conversation with everyone else, so you just have to figure out what your relationship is to that person and if it's your place. And I mean, if it is, you you know it, you know if you have a connection with someone. Um, So yes, I certainly have a connection to my father. Uh, He is called Christopher Kaufman. And just to plug, he is a registered Michael Caine lookalike.
2: And sound alike.
0: uh, And sound alike. So uh, obviously that's not relevant to this podcast, but if- No, but I
2: want my 50 quid an hour.
0: There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, so yeah. H- Hello, Dad. Welcome to our podcast. Absolutely. Oh,
2: um,
0: so, yeah. So, when did you realize that I had a problem?
2: In America, we were all, uh, having a family holiday in uh, mostly California. I don't, uh, you you probably remember it. We took a sort of, you know, there's the song "California Dreaming." What it turned into sort of a nightmare. Not a total nightmare, but it was very mysterious to parents who didn't understand what was going on uh because that's i don't know how long it had been going on so but they it became apparent there because we're all we're a family of uh you got a younger brother we were doing things like going around universal studios and playing the tables in las vegas no it was reno reno lake tahoe that's it uh
0: and i was 15.
2: yeah Uh, and going up and down the coast in California and you became quite surly withdrawn acted uh, a little peculiarly in terms of eating and then uh, you disappeared on the boardwalk in uh, San Francisco on the dock of the bay as we were could even hear Otis Redding in the background and you disappeared do you remember disappearing?
0: I remember being found by a police officer and him letting me take a picture with his hat.
2: That's right. That's right. But this was unusual behaviour, just uh, disappearing. But uh, I think your mum tweaked a bit quicker than I did. There was, there was something that was going on with food because uh, you were either not eating it or it was disappearing. or, uh, And this was a mystery to us or particularly me, because i definitely never come across this condition that we're speaking about here. And um, I suppose that's the first time that uh, we come upon it anyway. Uh, and wasn't something that we could do anything about, certainly not in the States, but uh, it still then displayed itself uh, when we were back home as well.
0: And uh, so that was your intellectual response like not really knowing what it was hmm. what was your gut reaction as you began to know what it was
2: well that we must do something about it but what do you do it's a complete mystery to anybody who hasn't come upon it before if you've got yellow belly or uh rising of the lights or measles or mumps you get Did you just pick.
0: make up the first two on the <laughs> it, that comes from
2: uh sam uh peeps's um or Diary of the Plague Years. Okay. <laughs> uh, the people had the purples in those days, which was, I think, diphtheria, but they called them different things. So yellow belly was probably uh, something wrong with your liver. Anyhow, if you had any of these things, you go to the doctor and they give you a pill or a potion, and uh, you get you get better. Uh, but this was obviously it was a condition that wasn't medical, it was, or it may. have had med- uh, medical consequences, but it, uh, there was it was mental, or there was something to do with your noddle going on. That uh, and all I knew was what I'd read in the papers. It was sort of middle class uh, indulgence. It wasn't something that uh, we'd come upon. Uh, and later I learned how prevalent it was amongst my children and my colleagues. I'm a trade union official. I'm used to negotiating and um uh, you, you don't paint people into a corner for example you leave, leave them a way out you 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 deal with things in a cerebral way but here was a problem i'd never come upon before uh so me and your mum then had to try and find a way of handling it
0: um and uh, what was the lowest point
2: well, I think it was when, I mean, amongst all the anguish and the you mentioned the uh, uh, screaming matches, probably that probably overdoes it. It did happen from time to time, but and your mum was uh, less of a negotiator than me, so she was more.
0: That's, that's such a diplomatic <laughs> negotiator's way of putting it.
2: <laughs> she was quite a fiery character, mm. so she would confront you, and that has to be done from time to time. So occasionally I would think, well, I'm a bit of a weed not confronting you, but I was more used to what well, you got. I deal with bosses of employers and ministers, and uh, I've got to deal with lots of uh, our own union members. So I'm, I'm used to dealing with people. I don't, I try and let them speak and try and find out what's going on. But even what well, you weren't speaking either. So uh, you can have these two different approaches. One is kind of confronting you and getting you to speak up about what's the problem. Uh, and the other is uh, being more laid back and letting you just speak yourself without being pushed. But uh, neither way was producing any results.
0: Did, you, it, it, did, it, sorry, did it affect your relationship with mum that neither of you knew what to do and you had different approaches?
2: Well, only a bit. I mean, we still had the same temperaments anyway. So uh, whereas she would be the the coming heavier. Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, I mean, we would have our disagreements about that. But hopefully we didn't show you that too much uh, because we tried to keep a common front. Um, But, yeah, no, I could see there were times when we we would we shouldn't press too hard uh and, and it would be best to let you speak at your own pace or when you wanted to but that's in the context where there was such a lot of uh, up, upsetting things going on i mean we had to put uh, those doors across the kitchen so we could lock them uh so you couldn't get at the fridge but, i mean no doubt that had that slowed you down i don't suppose it would have stopped you but at least it kind of it may have slowed you down for all i know but so so we took some physical actions as well, but more, we were trying to find people who could help. And this is where we find the uh, imperfections in the medical system. Doctors are not trained, they're clearly not trained to see symptoms, spot symptoms, or ask the right questions. And then you think, well, and this is where you were very um, positive. So in, in all in all your travails, if that's a word we can use, you still went ahead and found somebody who could help despite the the doctors who weren't helping you found some uh, trick cyclist was it or a, somebody who, who you could speak to on a, about mental issues and uh, eating disorders in a way that the, the medical people never picked up at all. So if we went to the medical people, they weren't helping us. And it took us a long time to find out, you know, what other parents were doing. You mentioned Beat, for example. They were a good crowd.
0: Oh, did so you use Beats resources? Yeah. yeah. Which no, ones?
2: No, no, we went to a um, a kind of all day seminar with them, and met other parents in the same position, met other kids, in the, and and met recovered uh, kids in the same position. If there were the coordination between the medical people and the mental people and there was the resource for people to go parents to go to say what the hell is going on here uh because it is very disturbing on the other hand as i pointed out and as you rightly say last night that uh teenage teenagers are both uh persuasions male and female and trans yeah and and any persuasions are going to be a bit um erratic so, how much is just normal behaviour, and how much is what's um, is being is coming out is coming from a different cause? Uh, now, I I really do think that uh, it's so widespread, and you find this, and I, I mentioned much my colleagues in the trade unions who are in the same position as me. We're used to dealing with um, uh, quite often hard issues. We've got to confront them and get an answer to. We couldn't find answers.
0: Where were you going? Where were you trying?
2: Uh, well, we read a lot. There's a, one or two decent books on it, so from which we learned that the it's not a uh, something you can sort out with a, a pill or a potion. Uh, it's a long-term thing. Um, you've got to be supportive. Uh, geez, I'm pleased that you recognise that. I mean, we've been trying to be supportive, but you can't always accept that. And it becomes very difficult when you might disappear. I don't know if you remember disappearing. When
0: did I disappear? Uh,
2: not just in San Francisco, but you might sort of just take off because you were pissed off with us confronting you.
0: What, just leave the house? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, and you might have a skimful. I don't know if it was over that, but uh, you have been known to have a fall. Certainly. Uh, and then we'd have to retrieve you from Cop Foster's or wherever it was.
0: Oh, you're really painting a great picture of me <laughs>
2: running off
1: to cockfosters. <laughs> really, just from the
2: from the gutters of cockfosters. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, like, don't
1: let, develop an
0: eating disorder; <laughs> you'll end up in cockfosters. Yeah.
2: But I mean, let's let's not just blame this uh, condition because mm. we had to do the same with your brother.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I,
2: I, I mean, you mentioned the family. It turned out um, it wasn't so dramatic but it had did have an effect on your brother as well all this the young your younger brother and he started acting a bit peculiar as well but i I don't think he ever really got into it in a big way the eating
0: disorder i mean he was definitely like the time when I started developing it, there was a very small window of time in which my brother really idealised me. That that time's lunacy's gone. <laughs> but, um,
2: it's the reverse now, I presume. No,
0: no, absolutely not. I mean, I, yeah. wait, I like my brother. He's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, he really like when I was <laughs> really suffering. I remember he 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 was like, I mean, he was always following me around, mm. um, and uh, that. You know, to the extent that when I when I went into my adolescent unit, he wanted to come in with me. And it's like, <laughs> no, babe, that's not how it works. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I yeah. Do, he definitely... I, I don't think I was, like, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the best influence at that time. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I, I ultimately, um, it was you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps because because we didn't know where to go. And you were the first one who found somebody to talk to. And after that, we came and joined in the discussion. I don't know if that got us too far, but at least it kind of kicked things off. Uh, and then, at that point, you would have been so disorganised and low in self-esteem and confidence and so on, that you could never have conceived, we could never have conceived you being together enough to get to university. And... Uh, and so somehow you pulled yourself into the position where you did get to the university, and I did think then that 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 was the, probably the way out. But if you had enough friends and people that you were living with, uh, who weren't your parents, that that you would have you would be engaged in things. There would be sort of distraction from all the uh, mental goings on that were provoking this this uh, approach that you were taking. But there's no doubt it is a, it is such a widespread issue that, that there, if this was something like diphtheria or, uh, uh, and it's something that was a, a, a problem, a wider problem for society, then they would be throwing huge resources into it. I'm sure the whole thing is underfunded. The people don't know where to go, neither the people who are affected or the parents. And something must be done about it. And if it's not done by governments and agencies, then the people who have been affected by it have to themselves get together and put pressure on. I'm sure people like BEAT do, but people like us should be going after the government. So this is is not an issue you can brush under the carpet.
0: I do think what is helpful, and something that can keep you going even when you you know you feel awful about yourself and you feel awful about your life is this drive to be understood and that's why it's so disappointing when you go to a professional and they don't seem to understand you but if you do just keep looking for someone who will understand um that's that's a healthy urge and then when you get some kind of understanding like it sounds like when you went to that beat carer's day yeah and you you know you see people that, that do understand it's, yeah. it's 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 you know that's what makes it all worth. Yeah. Well, we're not all worthwhile, as if like this has been like a kind of a hero's quest. But like, y- yeah, you get some kind of solace. Yeah, yeah.
2: But also, I noticed in I don't think we refer back to Tom's interview.
0: So, this is just to, to frame. This is Tom Fairbrother, uh, who was on our first podcast, and he was a marathon runner who wrote his story for the Guardian, and now he runs marathons and raises money through that for Beat.
2: Well, he said what. Uh really made a difference for him was going to the dentist and the dentist saying that his teeth were rotten I mean some paraphrasing. he went on a bit longer than that but somebody else confronted him who wasn't the family who was in a position to bring him up with a jolt that this was having a physical effect as well as sort of a mental effect and he had to think about well what was he going to do about it because his teeth had become uh, diminished uh, so there's got to be uh, people that you can turn to who are prepared to put the brutal facts before you. And, the, uh, and it's probably not always the parents who can do that because you've got a different relationship with the parents, including sometimes it's quite uh, overwrought.
0: Overwrought is a good word. Yeah. Did it? Were you able to carry on with your, the rest of your life?
2: Yeah, we were able to, but it was a sort of uh, it was a it was a constantly there in the background that we that we wanted something to we needed to get you up and running again, and because it's it's clear you've got all the capabilities and the uh, what's needed, but somehow that had to be put into gear, uh, and it did prove to be the case that in that when you went to university. Uh, that probably began to produce other influences that took you away from this obsession with the eating disorder I don't know that's we had to just kind of read into that but it was clear that you were getting better Uh, but having read these books and so on and spoken to the people in in the kind of that sphere it's clear that you don't easily just kind of throw it away like a uh, 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 a snake throws away a dead skin
0: yeah, that allegory was worth waiting for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um finally before we uh re-invite lizzie back into the conversation um do you have any words of wisdom for people who have children or family members or loved ones yeah. that are suffering with bulimia
2: um only that if you think it's really dark that you, you, uh, there's no light at the end of the tunnel there is uh and you've just got to hope that your kid gets out of it uh but the the best way to do that is to s- support them as well as you can and talk to people who have had the same experience one way or another
0: do you think you know your your as you say your, you know your temperament and your vocation and have taught you to kind of take a step back and yeah. to f- consider how best to proceed and my mum was a bit more hot-headed. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, well, that's what attracted me to her. I mean, that's a different that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you know, how, how would you advise people who that they're kind of a bit more in the grip of their emotions and yeah. a bit more? Like I'm a bit more like that yeah, as
2: well. Yeah. Well, imagine you're a boxer, and yeah, trading blows with the uh, opponent, and you're standing there, and if you stand there you're going to get hit on the chin. But if you somebody throws a blow at you, you ride it. You ride the punch. You go backwards as the punch is coming to you. And if you can accommodate those blows, then you're better in a better position to deal with it. I don't know if it's coming over this uh, allegory. I'm
0: here for it. I'm yeah. here for it.
2: All right. But it, you're in a better position to deal all round because you haven't raised the temperature. You haven't been exchanging blows you've just been kind of shadow boxing and if you can take the heat out of it uh, it's very much easier said than done because it does become hugely um, combustible because though it's it's not a surprise is it that those the the elements in a, uh, how a family works are not normally this and this extra element is not normally thrown into it uh but you've got to somehow ride with a punch anyway
0: and so that takes some kind of self-control and everyone whether they're a carer or or not has their own emotions and their own emotional responses yeah yeah. like that
2: you've got to think of them you've got to think of the carers as well but yeah
0: so what do you do what is a way for people to handle frustration because I i think um you know like it, you like what you're saying and what i found helpful is yeah like you kind of dealing with your own issues kind of separately and not like throwing them like bad arguments are when people are not listening to each other and not trying to help each other because yeah. they're just they've got their own grievances and their own sorrows yeah. and it's it's blinding them both yeah. uh, and obviously in a situation with uh, eating disorders i'm sure you both had many grievances that you could have thrown at me and they would have been legitimate and truthful so i guess you must have had another way to deal with your anguish and you know how would you advise people to deal with the unhelpful emotions that arise from watching someone i
2: think one thing is uh writing things down it's better to kind of respond uh on a bit of paper that you don't actually use it's just you writing down your own reactions to things rather than throw it back at the person who has a condition and i think that's still not generally accepted by the wider public that this is a this is a condition just like any disease uh you wouldn't shout at somebody who was um a bipolar was bipolar or something or you people you know, people probably do but you
0: that's the one with yellow belly though
2: no yellow belly well, that's different you in fact you would punch them in the belly <laughs> but you you wouldn't normally with any kind of condition it doesn't help normally just to kind of kick at them you've got to find a way to first of all try and take the heat out of it and and second of all to engage that's also i think i think i remember you sophie you wrote things down and you sometimes withdrew rather than uh continue the confrontation i think that that it's probably if you can find a way of doing that, kind of backing out of the confrontation. On the other hand, there is a, a, a time when your mum was absolutely right to confront you. You couldn't, you we couldn't say no. It's all right to just uh, empty the larder and throw up. That's not all right, you, and you had to know that we didn't think that was all right. And she, and and. That's also part of letting her frustrations go at, uh, at not being able to do anything was to have a good bellow. Idea. <laughs> but um, uh, we're all in a kind. We're all interacting, aren't we? But none of us is going to get the the perfect answer. But we uh, give and take is the best uh, is the best approach.
0: Say, so, Lizzie, I can you relate to any of this? Because I I feel like I definitely had like a more. Uh, Sort of it derailed my life for a bit, whereas you were always kind of fun- functioning on some level.
1: Yeah, but I was always functioning. I was probably always functioning on some level, but I did have a couple of years when, ironically, actually, I don't think I was throwing off as much, but but I kind of um just um like went like went off the rails a bit and um like wasn't um like like wasn't hanging around with people that were um like good for me um and like went out with a boy that was wasn't good for me either. Um, and, um, and but as I say that directly reflected um me having quite a difficult like the difficult time at home so um it's like interesting to hear about the dynamics obviously with your family um because yeah I think for me definitely uh, it wasn't like how my family affected my bulimia and my self-confidence rather than the other way around so it's in like, it's interesting t- to hear so I think that there was maybe less of a struggle at home about getting me better, and just there were there were struggles at home, um, and and this was just part of some of that chaos, I think. Um, so um, but I, so yeah, it's it's quite it's quite interesting to hear that. I mean, I still have ideas around how people can help, but yeah, I I think it is about remembering that the person is um is vulnerable, and I think that there is a, there's a balance, I think, between being quite soft and gentle with them, but making sure that not all the time, so not, like, knocking on the bathroom door continually when they're in the toilet, but, like, but, like, occasionally, yeah, you do have to, I think, confront them to say that's, that's, that behaviour, like, you should, you know, isn't normal and you shouldn't do it, and then I think also being quite gentle, and I, I think, you know, like, and, and like, highlighting that um, and, and but I think also being quite gentle with them and giving them time and space to talk and I think also like just trying to continually like make them feel good not bad about themselves but good about themselves and highlighting um, it, sometimes it's not a good idea to focus on their physical self because that's what they're focusing on but just highlighting when things are going well and when um, um, and when when they're achieving at other areas in their life and um yeah um and i don't know <clears throat> if it's worth saying for people that are suffering and maybe if part of their suffering is that they don't have a a stable environment is it worth saying some things about what they could potentially absolutely
0: and also i'd like to hear about um the the transition whereby you, you because you now do you have a much better relationship yeah. at home and if you and it seems like as that better relationship developed that would have helped you so, definitely so yeah I, mean, I think it'd be great for you to tell people where they can go uh for some stability for a hit of that sweet sweet stability uh but also yeah just to hear about personally for you when thing what basically what things helped and kind of helped you feel better and therefore had a knock-on positive effect yeah. on your bulimic symptoms
1: so um so i think that um yeah i mean i was lucky in that my home life did like like drastically improve, and then so obviously with that, that gave me the space I think to to also really like kind of he- like heal, um, like um. So obviously I got counselling at uni, and also um, like my mom went through like a whole period of psychoanalysis. Now obviously that that's really lucky, and not everyone will have that that benefit, but I think that if you're yeah, like if your home life isn't very stable um that obviously will have a massive knock on effect on your kind of internal life and how you see yourself um so it's kind of about trying to think about some environments away away from away from the the areas that are unstable um i mean for me personally um those like finding that environment or like a, another sense of community i mean i would personally seek out so um like a, like a sports club so like boxing martial arts like gymnastics yoga like they're they're all like like for me that I you know you'd find a community and you'd find something to focus on and, and also like physically a way of feeling like strong and good about yourself that's not linked to how you look um like it's a bit of a cliche but like like studying finding some like any form of learning whether that's like uni or school or you know, even just, like, a, an adult learning course, something that really, like, inspires you and, again, takes you out of yourself and hopefully links you into other people um, that, um, you know, that are also all focused on trying to, like, produce and create something, um, like, e- equally something artistic, like, um, yeah, like, drama, art, writing. Um, and also, like, if you've got, obviously, like, any friends that you can... Um, know stay with or just spend time with that are kind of completely out of your your kind of any areas of chaos in your life i think they're they're all things that are really good and like anything that can give you a sense of purpose a sense of community and and a sense of almost like being able to have a bit of control um like that's not in a chaotic way but like control in a positive way over like yourself and your life um i think really beneficial do you think if someone had said what you're just saying now to you, just like just before your life started to get out of control, do you think you would have taken that advice? I think, it, yeah, you know what? I think it might really have helped. Like, if it, um, like there's some things that I've had to work my way around. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, that would have helped. Um, and um, ra- almost like rather than giving up hope um that like everything's just bad and it's gonna stay bad like like having hope that like like bad things can happen but they don't define you um and like you are more than that and I think like I don't think I really found that kind of belief until a bit later but I think it would have really helped to like to have someone yeah like sit down and and explain explain that to me and I I instead I just was kind of a bit lost in the dark
0: yeah I know what you mean like most people are going to be much like see much more in you than you see in yourself when you're at a very like self-disparaging point yeah so just hanging out with people who who are talking to you with more respect than you would assume or feel like you deserve it does build a person up
1: yeah and like your dad said like like the, the reason I've like also focused on like things that you do is I think distractions do help you know um and yeah like that being like taken out of your kind of mental space and having to do something and like yeah like look like be creative in whatever way that is even if that's like solving maths problems like there's a creativeness to that but it, it, it's like you like using like using your brain and using yourself to do something that that that's like like cool like like cool but a a struggle but it's not that kind of chaotic like mental health struggle that you might be going through it's like a positive you know like a positive challenge and a positive struggle
0: yeah and also within a micro level of what we were discussing of how yeah you know people need to be kind but also have boundaries also with yourself the 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 one thing where you should try so hard to resist is the surge to to wallow in your pain and suffering Mm. um because that's actually quite a romanticised idea uh, yeah. within just general culture. And um, that's something that is, if you can just like, because you might be like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want to do any of these things. I just want to sit here and think about sadness. Um, that, that, yeah, that, that, that's a tantalising idea because it doesn't require any any kind of pushing yourself or anything like this. But um, that's the thing that I think people really should try and fight within themselves.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and and think about as well, yeah, like, the, the I guess the friends and the things that you do that might make you spiral a bit. Like, we ha- like haven't... We touched upon it a little bit, but, like, it's hard to do sometimes. But, yeah, like, if you, like... Like, like drinking loads can feel great at the time, but can push you, out, like, push you back a bit. Um, so I think tr- trying to, like... Oh, it's a bit cliche, but trying to, st- like, stay a bit healthy can... Um, you know, also like, can also help like, trying not to, trying to avoid things that might trigger you feeling really bad. But just even doing one of those
0: little, like, one of those things would be helpful, like, you know, I think it's easy to feel overwhelmed, like, I I definitely had this thing where I was like, in my head all the time I was making these elaborate plans of how I would transform my life, and they'd be too elaborate, and there'd be too much in them, and I'd fail, and then I'd feel worse and I'd get back into the cycle of self-destruction. So, just yeah, ha- having quite low key goals for yourself, even if it's just like, I don't know, I don't know why I thought of this, but like maybe because I love butternut squash soup, maybe just like <laughs> make some butternut squash <coughs> soup, or you know, just do one. I
2: can come in there, Sophie.
0: Oh, please do, Father. Well,
2: I think that the, I've noticed quite a few uh, people people affected by it, you would call perfectionists. Uh, you are an example. Like, and I think that uh, that's probably something you've got to get out of your head. You, you, you can't have everything perfect. And uh, that's part of the mental approach to it is if you can come down from that, if you can set your sights lower, then you can find a way forward. And I think, thinking back to it as well, probably the most scary part for parents was the self-harming part of it all but you got yourself out of it. So in the end, you know, there's a uh, hackneyed old phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think it, uh, it must have done. And uh, so we, there is some pride in how you pulled yourself up.
0: Absolutely. And actually, Liz and I had this conversation about how, you know, a lot of problems come from you trying to figure out your individual identity and who you are. and coupled with very negative forces that can come out in a very negative way but as you work your way forward that drive to to be someone that didn't previously find an outlet it's you know it can be your engine and 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 your way forward so the thing underneath it all isn't necessarily awful but it's just like you just have to figure out your way
1: forward yeah I definitely agree with that and I also think yeah, it's completely true. If you struggle through something that's a bit, um, that's like tough, if you do pull through it, like in a weird way, like the re- the rewards can be quite amazing to someone who's not had that, that struggle. I think you can ha- you, you can be more empathetic as a person, more understanding and like m- maybe more able to give other people their, their kind of space to be a complicated human being who feels pain because like that, you know, we all like we all do um, and everyone does and they, it's just they yeah they express it I guess to different extremes and people would have gone through different things that might get them to the place where they are doing you know they are making themselves sick. And one of the things one of the resources that I
0: drew on then and now something that holds all of that stuff we've just been talking about is, is you know like Films and books and all all, form, yeah. all forms of art that is fueled by very complicated things to do with being human, and that would take me out of myself. Just reading or watching a, f- a film yeah. that, yeah, was about that exact struggle, and you think you know you can you can make something out of it eventually. If you if you get to a place where you can build up your life and you can start to make good choices and meet good people, then you can you can you can
1: do things with what you've been through. Definitely, and there's like I recently watched and then read like Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is about mental health, and that's like I think a really brilliant story. Um, that um, like shows a bit that like arc of if you're battling with mental illness, whatever it is, and but but like because I think it is particularly if you are in the midst of it, like Sophie said, it you don't want to wallow in the pain, and so watching sometimes or reading stories of. Um, that describe what you're going through but give hope at the end you know can be really useful and really inspiring and like again give hope in little ways like it's not like about this elaborate plan and you're suddenly better it's about those small steps and then Absolutely. Su- suddenly you've walked you know like 100 metres down the path and you're, you're you didn't even you know you're somewhere you didn't even think you were going to get and
0: it's also I think very important to distinguish between um, like certain Myths within within art, and then the, the truth of it, which is like, um it, this is a, a, a small anecdote of of someone who was my fr- our friend's boyfriend, and he was like, he was like, I'm so jealous that you've been in Adolescent Unit. Oh my god, you can write the best. Oh my god, it's so dark, it's so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and like, just that's go- why you did it. <laughs> exactly, and just going through something doesn't make you equipped to tell a Story about it, or to communicate it, just going through it by itself. Yeah, you know that that will form you, but the tools you need to do something with it, a separate, you know, and and yeah, and they're to do with learning and all that practical stuff you're talking about. So, you know, people should people who have been through personal and isolating experiences should think should be driven by the need to be able to communicate that and learning the tools to communicate that and do justice to it. Because when you can communicate it, it. it feels really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So apart from the wonderful world of, of literature and films, there are some practical resources that we thought we should we should uh, highlight. Yeah. Has anyone got any details? Because otherwise, I've got I got some details.
2: Not practical. I've got a uh, a more a wider social comment.
0: Oh, I'd love to hear this.
2: Well, I think that it's you have to ask. Uh, uh, go a bit deeper and ask why do these things arise in the first place, these uh, conditions And I think uh, it's to do with people's alienation from they don't feel involved in society in one way or another. Uh, and they are they become isolated, don't feel that, that society is organized in a way that involves them. Uh, and they off in their own silo, have to struggle to find their own way through and that the pressures on adolescents to conform combined with that alienation produce uh th- this uh, emanation if you like that comes out in a in a mental form and then becomes physical and uh, so you have to ask deeper questions about why it arises in the first place if you're going to try and find ways of dealing with it what we're talking about is having is dealing with the having the symptoms having arisen how do we deal with them but you've got to look a bit deeper about the causes as well
0: I totally relate to that and that you know the thing that I always find helpful then and now is just spending time with with people because when you're by yourself you yeah you you're susceptible to every single crazy thought you have mm. and you're susceptible to, I don't know, for some reason, I was sort of a little old woman who's housebound just watching television, just only getting images from the television mm. and f- forming a perception of the world based on that. And yeah, like the ultimate way to 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 debunk myths that can come through the media. I mean, the media brings things other than myths, but it also brings myths. And one way to debunk it is just as you say, not to be apart from things and to try and be, try and find a place to belong. Mm. But yeah, so I I wrote down some handy information for people. Um, so yeah, so the first put of call cool, uh, is, yeah, is the charity we mentioned earlier, BEAT, and they've got a website which is b-eat.co.uk. Um, they've got two helplines. One is open to anyone over 18, and that's 0345 634 1414. Um, And that's a line that people can call who suffer. It's also a line that parents, teachers, and concerned adults can call. There's also a youth line open to anyone under 25, and that's 0345 634 7650. Um, And obviously some people don't use the phone in this day and age. so for those who prefer to kind of do their communiques online they also have some online support clubs there's one for under 18s one for over 18s young carers adult carers emotional overeating and you just go to their website and you set up an account and then they have them plan for certain times and you can do it to people that way yeah so that's beat uh there's also so yeah my guy who really i i had a great time with um in in the in the therapeutic sense um he he practices a thing called transactional analysis which i love because I i'm not exactly going to do justice to its description because i'm just working off of memory but it it looks at the way you interact with people in your relationships and it extrapolates from there so it's quite a like it's quite the opposite of that quite intimidating idea of you go into environment and they like talk about your deepest thing it's like you talk about the the little things in your life and then you gradually start making connections so yeah so transactional analysis is very good
1: um so yes elizabeth you you have something there um uh just to say um there's as well as beat there's also mind and they deal with all range of mental illness um and you can just go onto their website which is www.mind.org.uk um and if you go onto their website. And, like, if you feel like you're really in crisis, you can call them up immediately, or you can take a bit longer, uh, check through their resources, and, get, and give them a call. Um, but they're also another fantastic charity that, like, their focus isn't eating disorders, but they've got so many great resources. Um, and they're also worth they're, it's really worth speaking to Mind or Beat because, um, uh, particularly, Mind, they sometimes have like, uh, like uh, local branches. Um, and they'll, um, I don't know if BEAT does that, but again, both charities will probably, if you were looking to, uh, wanting to do some counselling, but, uh, you know, but wanted to do it locally, or didn't have much money, or wanted a support group, they'd probably be able to give you a bit of a, um, be able to signpost you a little bit around, like, what Yeah, was they've available. got, just
0: on their websites, you put, there's, they've got a facility, at least BEAT do, where you put in your postcode, and they'll tell you what counsellors are available in the area um this is a bit more specific but uh my therapist that really helped me he recommended because he was he was quite expensive he was he was well that's was 45 then it was forty-seven pounds fifty, and now it's 50 yeah. but that's not bad over two years mm. um but yeah he like when i was saying about you know who, who what about if people don't have 50 pounds to spend every week which is what it's advised to be every week. He recommended this place called the Metanoia Institute, which is, it's, it's like a training institute. So it's kind of like how, um, you know, if you want really cheap dental work, you go to Eastman's, this is like, you get people who, uh, who are just learning the ropes. And it's, uh, what you do is you, the, the initial assessment is 15 pounds or 10 pounds if you're on benefits. Then each session you kind of negotiate based on what you can afford. And it will be anything between five and 25 pounds per session. This kind of um, free negotiation is something that other places do as well. Uh, I really like this title, uh, the association of Jung- Jungian al- analysis. I like that because when I went on my therapist's website, he had a Jung quote, which is badass. And it's everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in an individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. Um. So yeah. So the association of Jungian analysts. Um. You can, you can negotiate a, f- a reduced fee with them and you can call them on 0287 794 8711. Uh, and there's also the British Psycho Psychoanalytic Association. But yeah, you can also negotiate uh, sessions between 2 and £25 subsequent to an initial one-off fee of £60 for an assessment. And so for the British Psychoanalytic Association, uh, you can call Sally Rose, she's given her name, on 07 512 242 900 but to say about that that's quite an intensive option that's uh,
1: a minimum of four t- sessions per week for two years but my friend my friend said um that actually although that's what they say that can be negotiated like they used to, you'd still have to ha- make the weekly commitment but you wouldn't necessarily have to do the full four sessions so it's just worth giving them a call if you if you were looking for some quite regular help it would still be worth giving them a call
0: and yeah two to 25 pounds a session so that would be pretty reasonable two pounds if you're able to get that yeah um, so yeah so we'll put all this information as well like the details of the websites in uh in the written information box um if anyone else got any hot hot tips
2: only that sitting here i've suddenly discovered this hat i'd lost for years so if you <laughs> if you stand back a bit if you find a way of standing back see things from a different angle you never know you might find a way of dealing with
1: that. That's actually a very good point. Yeah,
0: there you go. Okay, so uh, on that note, uh, I'm just going to wrap up. So thank you very much, Dad. Mm. I really appreciate hearing your perspective. So thanking two people I haven't mentioned yet, but who are essential in making the production a technical wheels turn: Eleanor McDowell and Michael Leader. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you, Lizzie, for generously sharing you. your experiences. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and thank you very much, anyone who happens to be listening. Uh, goodbye.